welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. This week is going to be kind of semi-pop culture, semi-chat show. We're not doing our usual format of talking about one single thing because we've both been traveling a lot over the past week and a half and we've not prepared a specific topic. So Morgan is in Italy right now. Yes, I am in a hotel room in Rome. I am back home after going on a work trip to Texas and then very quickly turning around and going to Star Wars Celebration, a colossal Star Wars convention in London. Yes, so we're going to start by talking about Star Wars, which is more interesting and exciting in general, but also for you, our listeners, than Italy for me, which was walking around and looking at art, although I guess we'll get to that later. (laughs) Uh, But let's start talking about Star Wars. Uh, So I was... Like watching you tweet about this and like email me about being at lines in lines at like eight thirty in the morning or whatever time it was, but like this was all over the news like crazy. I didn't grasp how huge it was going to be until it started happening. Like I knew you were going to do this for like months, like you mentioned it, um, but I didn't realize the like extent to which it was like everyone was going to be there and then all news outlets were covering it. Um, so. Why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about this experience at this thing? Right. So there's kind of a few different kinds of fan convention, most of which I've now experienced in my career as a fan slash fan reporter. Um, And there's ones that are like very much organized by fandom. And there's lots of panels with kind of nerds talking about fan art and like really heavily analyzing stuff and like maybe a couple of really minor celebrity guests. And then there's the kind more like San Diego Comic-Con, where it's very marketing oriented and it's all about, you know, selling shows to you and selling products. And there's loads of really famous people and it's very kind of corporate and highly organized. And Star Wars Celebration kind of falls into the latter category, although it does have fan panels and stuff as well. But it's all Star Wars, obviously. So it's like very heavily geared towards like, Lucasfilm's amazing, Star Wars is amazing. Have a look at all this like amazing Star Wars stuff. And while that description sounds really cynical, I completely drunk the Kool-Aid while I was there. (laughs) I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) Obviously, everyone or most people like Star Wars. I was really into Star Wars as a kid. As an adult, I was generally more of like a Star Trek person until The Force Awakens came out. And I was like, holy shit. And then like immediately went and bought like the Visual Dictionary children's book and like poured (laughs) over kind of diagrams of little aliens in the background, which I was like, great. So I was very excited to discover that there were not one, but two entire panels at Star Wars Celebration specifically dedicated to Dorling Kindersley Publishing's children's reference book series, <laughs> which was honestly so sublime. I enjoyed it a great deal. So I got to learn about stuff like there was this guy who was writing on one of these Lucasfilm-owned encyclopedias. And because Star Wars canon has to be 100% accurate, which is like, not the case for stuff like Marvel. <laughs> um, no. For any information that goes in any piece of Star Wars property, it has to go through this thing called the Lucasfilm Story Group, who are like, they have all of the information about Star Wars canon. They double check the fact to make sure if it's if it's mentioned anywhere else in the canon. And if it's not, you get to basically make up your own thing. But it has to be accurate. So this guy who was working on this children's encyclopedia was like, well, how long is Jar Jar Binks' tongue? We go to the Holocron, which is the name for the Lucasfilm Story Group's database. That doesn't know exactly how long it is. So he sat down at his dinner table with his very long-suffering wife, and they reenacted a scene from The Phantom Menace, 
where Jar Jar Binks is sitting down at Anakin's breakfast table and grabs a piece of fruit with his tongue and then Qui-Gon Jinn grabs his tongue and that illustrates the length of Jar Jar Binks' <laughs> tongue, which is apparently approximately one meter. And so he had, you know, a visual indicator. So it was like these panels were just like the minutia of information that was being displayed. I was like in heaven. It was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of, I did leave with the desire to read like a lot more Star Wars tie-in books and stuff. Um... But at the same time, it was weirdly, perhaps because it was so pure in that regard, it felt weirdly less cynical than a lot of other kind of corporate type conventions I've been to. But possibly also because I basically don't have any interest in any kind of merchandise. So like I I did stuff like trying, I tried like a virtual reality headset, which was awesome. But like, there's literally no way I'm ever going to buy that. Like the only thing I'm ever going to buy is like encyclopedias. (laughs) (laughs) And they sold you on that. That (laughs) worked. And there were loads of really great cosplayers and stuff. But for the most part, like people who go to these things are very interested in just seeing the big celebrity guests, which even as a reporter, I kind of don't personally see the point of because um, so like Morgan has some experience of this at San Diego, San Diego Comic-Con. If you want to get to the main stage of these conventions, you have to queue for like, you know, eight to 12 hours. And that's like cutting into the time of A, sleep, and B, the rest of the convention. But people were doing this to like go see Carrie Fisher or Mark Hamill or whatever, which is like fine if that's your thing, but um, it's not my thing. And merely the two-hour queue to get in with a press pass was enough for me. (laughs) Yes. Well, I went to San Diego Comic-Con two years ago now, and I went because a friend of mine there was some sort of like tangential connection to a website through which I could get a press pass. So I didn't have to pay. And I was actually going to be in San Diego the next week anyway. So it was this bizarre confluence of events. And I was like, sure, like I'll go to Comic-Con. I never had any particular desire to go. It always seemed like a hell on earth to me, but I was like, this will be anthropologically interesting. Like, sure. I had to write up a couple short articles and that was it. And I basically went with the idea of, just like I'll just say yes to anything everyone anyone asks me to do like I'll just experience it I'll observe what's happening I'd never been to a convention of any kind before so like my first and still only experience was San Diego I do not recommend this to anyone as like I can't even imagine (laughs) the deepest of the deep end (laughs) so this group of people who I was with who were like, great. Like it was, that was not the problem. And it wasn't even like, like it was fine. The whole thing was fine. It wasn't like I had a breakdown or anything. It was mostly just interesting, but not exactly fun. I would say I kept, I kept trying to explain this to people. They were like, did you have fun? And I was like, no, like, it wasn't fun. Exactly. It was like I had a terrible time. It was just sort of an experience. Like, but they would always like do the thing where you, line up the night before and like sleep overnight to get into the big Hall H panel when Marvel does their thing and all the big studios do their thing. Although I guess Marvel doesn't always go to Comic-Con now. Yeah. I mean, they're um, there this week, this weekend, but I think yeah. like there's a chance they'll announce Captain Marvel, but it's probably just gonna be like Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and Doctor Strange. So I'm like, much right. more well, into the Star Trek panel. Yeah, well, the year we were there, it was the Age of Ultron panel, and then they were going to announce something, and everyone thought it was going to be Doctor Strange, but then, as we know, that took them a long time. And instead, they were like, we're doing a Guardians of the Galaxy sequel, and it was the week before Guardians of the Galaxy had even been released, and everyone was like, what? 
Like, but it was totally fascinating because San Diego is so huge that they do have a ton of just like random people doing little panels that from what I understand, if you just do that, like it can be really enjoyable and interesting, although still just huge and overwhelming. But I didn't go to any of that. I went to just the big stuff because I had to write some of it up. And then we were doing this for the entire day. And it was just insane. Like the whole thing was just insane and depressing because it's all pretty brief because they have to get everybody in to that one day. And the actors are all, like you can tell almost none of them want to be there because it's such a marketing thing. Like it, they're sort of marketing packages basically just like shoved in to this like one day crammed full of stuff. And the Marvel one in particular, I wrote an article about this that we can link to, um, but the Marvel one in particular, it was just like so dystopian because Marvel is such a weird, like, like they just control press so much that like they were each asked one question that they had clearly pre-scripted and like had pre-scripted answers to. And then they didn't take questions from the audience and they just left. And it was just like, what? Like the, the like major contrast to that was the Lord of the Rings panel or like the Hobbit panel. It was the last year they did that. And they went way over, which was, it was too long. But they also clearly were just like, we don't give a shit about anything. I like how they're staying on theme by being way too long. <laughs> right, exactly. It was perfect. But they also clearly like actually enjoyed each other. Like you could tell that they got along and like liked each other, at least broadly speaking, and had had a good time doing the whole thing. Peter Jackson obviously was just like, I want to die. Like, get me out of here. <laughs> like, I'm done with this. But the whole thing was just like, oh my God. Yeah, that's, and- that's the thing about San Diego, right? Because it's got to the point now where like even shows that are only like peripherally, vaguely related to sci fi are now at Comic Con. And yes. like, there's kind of this pressure for the cast to like, be able to do the comic-con promotion thing and like it's definitely got to the point where like people are hired for shows on the ability of like being able to do that kind of press which is like weird but okay sure you kind of begin to notice when people are really uncomfortable with it and i was kind of glad that that wasn't really the case at star wars celebration because like you've got the two generations the younger generation of actors were basically there for like one hour right there was one panel that was rogue one most of the cast there are experienced older actors like Maz Mikkelsen and Donnie Yen and stuff. So like they go up there, they say something for five minutes and look handsome and it's like, we're done. Felicity yeah. Jones, she was fine. She was there for like 10 minutes. And yeah. so was Alden Ehrenreich. And then the older generation, apart from William Shatner, there is no one who is more of a convention expert than like Mark yes. Hamill and Carrie Fisher. Oh my like, God. They had like the person who was hosting a lot of panels was uh, Warwick Davis, who's in kind of Star Wars and Harry Potter and stuff. And he's like basically a stand-up comedian. So he would be very funny and he'd be like riffing off the guy who plays um, C-3PO, Anthony Daniels. And they'd just be like joking for an hour. So essentially what you're queuing eight hours for is to see someone who you idolize. Like they're not giving away any new information. It's mostly kind of jokes that you already know, but it's kind of the star power. And it's kind of worth it if you really like them because Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill have stage presence and they know exactly the right tone to take. And the younger people were like not required to do anything. And I think that's kind of the right attitude. Like John Boyega obviously is like ridiculously charming. So even him showing up is like, this is amazing. And then he leaves after five minutes and it's fine. And you can go back to like the more technical side. And that's kind of something I would prefer to see from more conventions because sometimes the best person to be talking is not the actor or whatever. There were a lot of panels here that were sort of about very technical stuff. 
And I think Star Wars fandom is quite easily geared towards that because other franchises, um, the people who work on the behind the scenes are from so many disparate companies that it's hard to like get hold of them. But because it's like <laughs> under the corporate umbrella of, of Lucasfilm, they can bring them in and it's fine. And also they've been yeah. like working on it for 30 years. So it's, it's like easy. Yeah. Well, and the like thing about convention press being a specific skill is definitely true obviously part of your job as an actor is to be able to do press like that's it's a huge component especially now but it's just not the same doing a regular interview as being up on stage in front of thousands of people like it's not it's not the same thing and some of them can do it fine because they've done it a lot and or their personality just is suited to it or whatever and some of them just can't do it and it's really awkward when they can't because you're just like oh no it like, was really interesting to see alan tudyk on um the, yeah on the panel for rogue one because obviously like most of the people in the rogue one cast are pretty personable like they've got varying levels of fame but alan tudyk is like he is the kind of quintessential con- convention circuit guy because like yeah. most people know him from firefly but he also like he starred in irobot he's about to star in um, the new dc comics sitcom called Paralysis or whatever it's called He's been in like a bunch of kind of sci-fi fantasy movies and he also like made some kind of comedy with Nathan Fillion that's literally about being a convention star. (laughs) So it's like, it's like baked into his whole persona. And he was like funny during the panel, but it was the kind of funniness where like he clearly knew precisely what to do and like what would work with the audience and stuff, which isn't like a criticism. That is literally his job and he's really good at it. But it's kind of interesting to see like the handful of actors who now subsist on the Comic-Con circuit. Yeah, well, I remember when I was at San Diego, on that uh, Hobbit panel, Benedict Cumberbatch was there because he was smog. Uh, and he obviously is not an actor who is subsisting on that in the same way. Like He's much more famous and is doing high-profile stuff, but he's had to do a lot of that kind of press um, stuff for Sherlock and then the Hobbit stuff, and we'll have to continue because he is now Doctor Strange. And I'm very ambivalent about him in general. Like, I just don't really care. But I was, he was, he has got it down. Like, the people on that panel were generally charming. It was fine. But, like, he knew exactly the right comment to say to be charming and, like, succinct and funny. And he got asked some, like, hideously awkward questions by audience members. Like, I was writhing in my seat. Like, I couldn't handle it. And he knew exactly how to respond to, like, diffuse the situation. And I was like, wow, you have figured out, like, how to deal with this. I mean, I feel like working on Sherlock, you have gone through the pits of hell. (laughs) Like, Because you can't talk about spoilers ever. And the fans are so intense. And it keeps coming back. It's not like promoting one movie. It's like, once a year, you come back out and you have... Whereas there's, yeah. like, some actors who just kind of naturally have it. Like, Maz Mikkelsen is incredibly good at that stuff because he's just, like, chill and doesn't care about anything and is very charming. And it is so... It's such a required part of how they sell stuff now. The, like, joke I made when I was at San Diego was, like, the most capitalism in the world is in San Diego right now. Like, this weekend is the most capitalism. Like, this, it's all here. Every single thing is an ad. Like, the whole the whole thing and you pay to get in and you go and like everything's an ad and you go and then you pay so you can buy things there and then you go to the panels and the big ones are basically just marketing programs to you and i was like this is so bizarre like and then that's why you really should go to the smaller panels because that's not what they're doing but the whole thing was very weird and i just felt very weird 
about it. And I actually feel like a convention that's only about one thing, even though that's obviously the purpose of this is to market things to you and to market the movie and like create publicity for the movie would almost be less weird in that way because everyone knows what they're there about. Yeah. And I mean, like like a very large proportion of it was literally stalls selling stuff. And there was like a really big fan presence from stuff like, um, the Five First Legion, like the people who cosplay stormtroopers and do charitable events and stuff, but like yeah. it just it had like a really innocent, positive attitude that I like maybe wasn't expecting from something that yeah. is so clearly about sort of selling a single franchise. And I mean, that's partly because like so much of it is just kind of oriented around fan organized stuff, and partly just because like they don't have to try that hard because like <laughs> they're not competing with anything. It's like a captive audience of people who are already really into Star Wars. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the advantage they have as a franchise, I guess, is that, like, everyone loves it so much that they kind of can sneak in under how much everyone loves it, if that makes any sense. Like, Star Wars is the most profitable thing, like, in the world. Yeah, right. it's, it's also kind of like, I kept like, just thinking about how, like, everything, like, everything has kind of tie-in products right like everything but with star wars it's like it's most of it is tie-in products because like for so long we only had three movies and because the quality was quite high and they they were so like weirdly obsessed with having this single canon and like they were able to because it was just a single organization rather than it being like a franchise of different tv series like star trek they managed to like create an organism that could survive, which is kind of a freak occurrence having it not turn out terrible, you know, because like most like modern reboots are just pointless. Yes. So I'm kind Uh, of, I'm kind of interested to see like how the next few films turning out, turn out because while I definitely did drink the Kool-Aid, they're also potentially in a honeymoon period, you know, there's been one really good movie and they've got clearly a lot of kind of good stuff happening in the, tertiary comics and stuff but you know who knows what will happen with the next few movies <laughs> well right and it is like i mean i remember them saying about the force awakens they were like obviously the people making that movie cared about it a lot and the studio cared about it but that essentially it was a vehicle to sell toys right like most of the money from that and they made a ton of money the film but the, the toys i would love to see the figures on that i wonder if you could find them anywhere i bet you can't we're going to make a ton more money than the movie itself did, which is so crazy. And that's not unique to Star Wars, but it's especially true for Star Wars because there's just so much of it. And the sort of positive good feeling that the franchise in general, and also that movie in particular brings out in people, which I felt watching it, like it was so enjoyable to watch and it was so fun and not cynical. I think can make you sort of forget sometimes that it also is just like a corporate thing. And like, it can be both things at once. I don't want to just sit here and be like, everything is bad. Capitalism. Like, wow. But they like, they're making all, they're making a fucking Han Solo movie, right? Like the only reason they're doing that is to yeah, make That was like, that money. was like the one, like, the one slight, not a downer, but everyone working on the Han Solo movie is good, right? Anyone who's seen Hill yeah. Caesar knows that Alden Ehrenreich is like the fucking second coming. Like he's incredible. Yeah. You know, the yeah. directors, Phil Lord and Chris Miller, I've not seen the Lego movie, but they're generally very highly regarded. And they've got yeah. like, I think they've got a couple of the kind of older screenwriters, like maybe Lawrence Castan or something. And generally like Lucasfilm makes really good movies, but 
while the other films I'm very excited for, I just can't bring myself to be super interested in Han Solo film because it's not something that's narratively interesting. Like of the main characters, Han Solo is not someone you want to see a prequel about, right? All of his character development happens within the original trilogy of Star Wars. You want to see a prequel about Princess Leia, or indeed not a prequel about anyone. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> we could just skip that. Yeah. Especially since Rogue One is a prequel in a sense. Right? Yeah, it's a like, direct prequel, yeah. Oh, I mean it's right. not, but it's a direct prequel. Right. So it's not like about those characters, but plot wise, like that's why. So yeah, Star Wars Celebration was an interesting experience. I was very excited to see a very high volume of adorable Ray cosplayers. Although there were like, I didn't see any fins, which was sad. I saw a picture of a fin and that was it. Um, yeah. And I got to do virtual reality and have my body scanned into a 3D scanner. <laughs> 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 which I was not expecting. <laughs> it will exist somewhere forever. Pinewood Studio has it in the vault if they ever want to recreate my head and stick it on a figurine, which was why I got my head. God, it was like the level of like corporate synergy was astonishing. Cause did, did I tell you about why I had my head 3D scanned? No, I don't. I think you told me that you did and then didn't explain why. <laughs> like, okay. Well, this is, this is kind of ties into something that Morgan and I talk about quite a lot is kind of an aspect of like horrifying Hollywood dystopia, which is the level of kind of CGI touching up that happens um, with actors, like especially women, but like generally to just make them look younger or to like splice someone's face onto a body double for action or nude scenes. Um, so like it's sort of the thing that they do to Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War for the young scene, but like it happens in whole movies without you noticing they're just making an actor look younger through CGI and stuff like that, which is creepy as hell and really bad. Um, but they also do it for like regular kind of computer gener generated action sequences. And for Star Wars, they have like a full-time on-set crew of people who just scan <laughs> the faces and bodies of the lead actors for like a couple of seconds. And like, they seem to do it like multiple times so for like continuity, like old-fashioned Polaroid stuff. Like I wrote an article about it that we can link in the show notes with probably a bunch of other Star Wars articles. Um, for Rogue One, they even scanned in all the extras, right? And then they have this information that they can have for like video games and like CGI and like models and toys and stuff but what the, but the same company also does like replica props that are exactly like the movie and sells them for exorbitant amounts of money and this new thing they have is that they have you can have your head scanned in and put on like the body of like an x-wing pilot or a tie fighter pilot or a stormtrooper and i would think they had it people were literally this is like the ultimate version of like the capitalist thing morgan was talking about because people were queuing to go into this stall, which was like a very glamorous, like wooden packing crate, <laughs> um, where it was like, it's completely blacked out because like you can't go in, you have to like queue to get in because it's so cool. And then you go in and there's this like glamorous like showroom and they have like the whole lighting rig. And like, I talked to the tech guy for a while because it was quite interesting. Um, but like, you're literally queuing for something which like most people are definitely not going to afford in a convention that you paid for and also queued several hours to get into. I was like, this is amazing. And like, I, I get why. I get the appeal, even though I'm not going to spend that amount of money. But like, wow. The scanning, <laughs> they, they have now scanned my head. <laughs> and have it, as I said, forever. Yeah. Somewhere in a database. It, it, maybe you'll show up yeah. in a film. That would be definitely legal. No, not legal at all. Oh, my God. Yeah. Someday... James Cameron's dream will be true and they won't have to use actors at all. Just just weird CGI beings using the faces of people they've collected from around the world. 
Oh my god. Yeah. Well, that sounds thrilling. Yeah, <laughs> it was an interesting experience. <laughs> oh my god. Well, that sounds like the polar opposite also... of what Morgan was doing. Yeah, like you, well, it sounds like you were doing a lot of standing and walking, which I have also been doing in Italy. Uh, I would not recommend people with a hurt or disabled foot or knee take a walking vacation in the middle of the summer. That's my main suggestion to all of you. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining because it has generally been very good. But uh, for those of you who don't know, which is probably most of you, I have a very bad ankle and now also a bad knee. And I have been in Florence and Rome walking around, which I actually just got to Rome because we were in Venice and then in Florence. Um, but now I'll be in Rome doing more walking and have like multiple like implements like on my leg, which are like sweaty and gross. It's just like so bad. <laughs> like walking around. This, and, like, this really is the vision yeah. of when like, you, you know, these chic films about going on a European vacation, beautiful hats. Sweaty oh my embrace. God. No, no false. It's a, like the number of tourists of which I of course am one is astounding. I have was here like five years ago in April, which is also a really high tourist time because the week we were here is like was like the week that all of the universities in Europe were on vacation and also all almost all of the schools in the United States. So like a ton of people go and there were a lot of people, but like it was nothing. It was nothing like this, like just the crushes of people. I've seen so many selfie sticks in the past 10 days i can't even begin to describe to you the number like people taking selfies with the david using their selfie sticks and i was like you know what this is a step too far like i'm gonna be an old curmudgeon and like no (laughs) stop stop this now like (laughs) i think Um, the real trick is to have an extremely long selfie stick so you can have like the myspace pose from above the david's face so getting you both in shot that's what i'd want Yes, the the real hero was the girl who was having her boyfriend take a picture of her standing behind the David, sort of holding her hands above her head, squeezing as though squeezing his buttocks, which I I felt like, you know what? Good for you. Like, I approve of that. That's very impressive. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe you didn't have your mother help you take that photo. Right. Yeah, I that would have been an interesting experience for all of us. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah. So that it's been it's been interesting. It's just I can't imagine what it must be like to live somewhere like Venice in particular. Venice is such a weird place. Like I think the population of like people who actually live on like the like central island part is like 60,000 people, which is not very many at all, and it is just packed with tourists all the time. I mean, Obviously, like, in the winter, it's not as bad at all. But, like, in the, like, the number of tourists I saw, and again, like, I'm obviously one of these people, but it it was unbelievable. Like, you're just crammed in, and, like, Venice is small. Um, And, like, that's the only industry there at all. And so if you're actually a person living in Venice, 
like all these obnoxious Americans coming through, like speaking English at you. I don't speak a single word of Italian except like thank you. You but I I do much hate everyone. Like it must be so awful. There are all these like tacky tourist stands like selling tacky stuff, like right in front of these beautiful old buildings that like once were an impressive like medieval empire. It's like, oh times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> oh no um this this sounds like very negative which i really don't mean it to it's just like a very strange experience to be like seeing all of this like beautiful stuff and everyone is like walking around with their like childs and their backpack <laughs> like their camera there's so many children i kind of feel bad for them they're all like four years old and look like they want to die because they don't want to look at art anymore <laughs> like don't take your four-year-old child to Italy either. That would be my recommendation based on what I have observed in the past week. <laughs> like, they all hate it. And, like, don't want to... I guess they like the gelato. That's probably the, like, peak experience of those children on, on the... They should have, that, like, at fine art like, galleries. You've got, like, the adult head-level fine art and then at knee-level cartoons. Seriously? Like, <laughs> I don't... Like, and it's funny because when I was a kid, I, I loved art always. My mom is a teacher and um, she teaches mostly American history, actually exclusively American stuff at this point. But when I was young for a couple of years, did like European history and stuff. And so she did our history. And so I learned about it when she was teaching it. And I was dying to go to Italy from the time I was like 10. And I probably could have done it at like 10 or 11, although not as much as we've done, because even for me, it would have just been like <laughs> too many museums, too many churches. Um, but they are like little children. <laughs> like some of them, I guess if you're in a stroller, you can just kind of be like, I'm out. Like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But the kids who actually have to walk around, it's really hot. They're like five or six, clearly don't have any idea like what's going on around them at all. I kind of just am like, why? <laughs> like, I guess the parents want to like do something that's actually interesting to them, which I understand. But it seems like it would be more trouble than it would be worth. Actually, like, that just reminded me, like there were people, I mean, obviously loads of people bring their kids to like conventions, right? And like yeah. a Star Wars convention is a really great place to bring a kid because yeah. there's also costumes and stuff and there's like a children's area. But like queuing <laughs> with like a toddler, uh, <laughs> just come late. Don't come early. Don't come early right. if you have a toddler. Not because I'm annoyed, because I'm like, whatever, I don't really get that annoyed by small children. Yeah. But like the idea of being a two-year-old and having to queue for like two hours in, in, in like a bare aircraft hangar full of like sweaty, annoyed adults. <laughs> nightmare. Nightmare. Just Well, we were at, we went to Siena for one day, which is, I hadn't been there before. It was really beautiful, but also just like packed with with tourists and for some reason there were like even more children there and there's a beautiful cathedral there but there's a bunch of really beautiful stuff on the floor and so like most cathedrals they kind of have some stuff like gated off but they mostly just let you walk around but in the cathedral there it's really narrow because they can't you can't walk on most of the floor and so you're kind of directed around the outside of of the cathedral and so there were, like, all of these kids just, like, making all this noise, like, wandering around, like, the outside. This little girl with, like, a toy sword just walked under the, like, velvet rope and, like, off into the part of the cathedral that you're not allowed to walk into. And her dad was like, oh, no, no. That, that would be me. <laughs> and then the poor man who's, like, it's a church who kept having to go out, like, every five minutes 
like on the loudspeaker being like silence please silence please silence please because like you're not supposed to talk it's a church but like they're all like four like they don't know they're not supposed to talk and i was like oh no like this is not maybe don't maybe don't do this like i mean i hope that the children are getting something out of this experience but it seems like maybe not like the best idea oh my god very memorable for me anyway but probably not for them they probably won't remember any of this when they get reach adulthood um so what but, was uh, the coolest art thing you saw art? i mean i the david is like the best thing i've is like the most amazing thing i've ever seen so, like, I saw, I so, like, I came when I was studying abroad in England for, like, a week, a little over a week to Italy, and, like, did all the art stuff. So, it's, mo- I'm seeing mostly stuff I've seen before, which isn't bad, like, it's all amazing. Um, but I remember going and seeing that the first time, and we got there really early in the morning, and there weren't that many people, which is, like, a miracle, because that's always just, like, fucking mobbed. Like, even if the people aren't taking selfies, it's, it's sort of... Like, there are just so many people that it's stressful and overwhelming. But it's indescribable. Like, that's the most, um, almost always better to see something in real life than in a book. But sometimes when you see paintings, they look pretty similar. Um, and, or like, they'll be bigger, but they kind of, you kind of get the same feeling. And sometimes they are a lot better, but sculpture is obviously different. But that one is by far the most, like, you just don't get it until you've seen it in person. It's so huge. Like, of course, you can look at the dimensions and be like, oh, yeah, that's really big. But it's enormous. Like, it's massive. And um, he has an expression on his face that you don't see from the profile shot, which is a picture they usually use. Like, he's really intense looking. Um, And it's just, it's, it's astonishing. Like, it's so amazing. And... I said to my mom, which I said, like, I remember saying this to my friend that I was traveling with at the time years ago when I went, like, all the Michelangelo stuff, and he didn't do actually do that much, and it's almost all in Roman Florence, so, like, I've basically seen all of it, which is crazy. Um, Like, it's so wild to think that, like, I really think this is true, like, he was the best person at that, meaning sculpture, like, ever in the history of humans. Like, I, and I, I would never say that about anyone else doing any other art form. Like, it would be ludicrous to say about anyone, like, well, he was the best musician ever. Like, that, like, you, or like the best writer. Like, that's not, like, there isn't anyone who you could remotely plausibly say that about, right? But, like, I genuinely think that Michelangelo was, like, easily the best sculptor. Like, no competition. And you look at his stuff and it's just like, oh my God god because there's some there's a bunch of other stuff in florence that we saw um that's also incredible and then we're, we will be seeing the pieta at um saint peter's although that's like the mona lisa like someone attacked it once and so they have it like barred off and you sort of see it from like many feet away as you're like walking by and you're like oh there it is like it looks cool from over there which isn't ideal but um someone attacked the david once to like hit the hit his foot with like a hammer and so you have to sort of stay away but it doesn't matter because it's so big um but it's oh that is so cool um i mean what i really liked looking at a bunch of donatello's which is like way too obscure for almost everyone listening to this so i won't talk about that i mean he's one of the uh the ninja turtles yes exactly exactly 
I took a like really amazing art history class in high school. I never studied art history in college, which was like really too bad because I love it. But I did this class in uh, high school with this amazing teacher and um, he actually had slide projectors like this was it was he was old school. It was the last year that he taught. We were his only class that year and he had slide projectors that he like had his things of slides that he'd, you know, loaded up like years and years before and he'd project two images at once and then like we compare them and he was completely Socratic. Like he didn't ever like talk. He'd just like occasionally ask a question and then like we'd just have to say things. And so I remember the first couple weeks of this class were really awkward because he just he was this sort of like odd little man. He didn't wear socks. And like we were all just sitting there like we like it was really stressful because like we didn't know what we were supposed to be doing. We were all like sixteen and seventeen and we're just like, are we supposed to be like talking or saying something? Like what's going on? Um and he was probably the best teacher I ever had. Like it was like we all learned so much. So the first time I I did this trip like I I was with a friend of mine who had not studied art history and I think I literally went home and like had all my like notes from Mr. Newton's class and like went through them to find where all the stuff was oh my god every time you ever tell me anything about your academic history I'm just like (laughs) that you are such a hard-working academic nerd (laughs) I wish I'd had an ounce of that at any point in my (laughs) academic career but I was like I literally I did no work until like at least a year after leaving university (laughs) oh my god yeah this was like the peak this was like the most (laughs) was probably but uh if I was lucky I might take some notes in a university class that was the level (laughs) Well, this class, like, you have, I mean, like, well, we were all so lucky to get in it at all, because he was, like, retired but doing emeritus, like, he was teaching one extra class, and so we were all like, we got in Mr. Newton's class, oh my god, and then we all, like, frantically took notes on everything, and it was really, it was really hard class. Um, I had, a lot of the earlier classes I'd taken, I had not had a lot of trouble in, and then, like, my first paper on that, I got, like, a B-minus, and I was like, oh my god, like, I have to work really hard in this class, and it was really tough, I didn't get great grades in it all the way through, um, but I, like, I learned so much, and so all this, like, great stuff I had, you know, remembered, and, like, we went through all the museums, and I would, like, give little lectures to my friend about it, and she was very long-suffering. Oh my gosh. We had, we had a lot of fun, uh, but it's like, it's so, it's so funny to do it again a few years later. Cause some of it, I remember and some of it, I'm like, I remember we studied that painting and I don't remember anything about it. It's <laughs> like, been replaced by Marvel knowledge. Slide. Exactly. The right. Michelangelo of our time. Re- right. Exactly. Oh my God. But, uh, but yeah, I, Donatello is really interesting. Um, he was like really early Renaissance. He was like the first Renaissance sculptor. And I never really appreciated him until this trip because he, his stuff looks a little silly and like still pictures and in person, it's actually really impressive. And so I was kind of like, I'm, I've learned something like excellent. Now I, I appreciate you fully. He did the David where um the like bronze David, where he is like, looks sort of womanly and has a hat on and the guy's, head is it is peter feet. pan david yes exactly i was sort of looking for a description and that is the perfect <laughs> it's the one that looks like peter pan <laughs> exactly what it looks like um 
And it looks really stupid in pictures. Like, it just does. It looks really silly. And in person, it's really interesting and, like, quite striking. And I missed that one when I was here last time. So that was cool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I never did art history after that, which is really sad. Because you had to take intro art history at my college to take anything else. And I was like, I know all of this already. Like, I don't need to, like, I don't need to do Why this. Why we have intro classes? <laughs> like, I've done this in high school. Probably I learned more than I would in this, but I hadn't taken the AP class. So why? Um, but yeah, so that's been very cool. It's just unfortunate that I can't walk. <laughs> like, I can literally walk if anyone is like under the impression that I can't move, but like, it's not, it's painful. It's not a great situation. Yeah. I mean, this is why Morgan is currently recording a podcast from a hotel room in the middle of an, an Italian holiday. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, I could have to like sit down in the middle and just being like, like oh no, <laughs> this is bad. <laughs> and I was just saying before we started recording, this is terrible timing because, you know, Morgan is getting her leg issues at the same time as Pokemon Go came out. So, <laughs> so tragic. I would definitely be spending all of my time on that if it were not for this. <laughs> uh, this is no, that's no shade to anyone else. Including... I mean, I downloaded it on Monday and I love it. Like the only yeah. reason I'm not on it all the time is because the servers crash literally every evening. So, yeah. <laughs> but it would probably not be my thing. I also, I just wouldn't be able to do it also. Like I, I would be completely incompetent because I don't do anything like that on my phone. Well, neither do I. Like I've literally never yeah. played a mobile game before and I generally am not much of a gamer, but the reason why it's so successful is because you're just like, I want to catch a cute animal. <laughs> <laughs> and then you point your phone at it. <laughs> yes. Even my grandmother knew what it was, which is like quite staggering. Although she's very, she's very on top of things in general, but like that's a sign that it's really hit the mainstream. Yeah, like, I mean, it's, it's the hugest, you know. it's the hugest game ever, and I'm excited for when all of our like data is stolen by hackers, probably within the next month. Yeah, I mean that will happen. Yeah, like it's it's going to occur, except mine because I. Don't. I'm the only person on the face of the planet who has not downloaded. Yes, you're free, and my housemate Luke is free because he his phone is too old, so he can't download <laughs> it. Um, and it's very unfortunate for him because the other three of us are all playing it continuously, and we have a Pokemon gym around the corner from our house. So <laughs> I'm not good enough to fight in a gym yet, though. Oh, it's too bad. No. It really is just like the '90s have returned. Like everything is just the oh yeah. I mean, it's like it's the it's the kind of the ultimate combination of like '90s nostalgia and a game that most people can actually play. Yes, and like it's kind of like obviously there is a certain amount of sort of like gamer snobbery, but it's like the nature of Pokemon makes it quite difficult for people to be like, oh yes, I am a real original like serious Pokemon competitor. <laughs> and it's like we're all just taking photos of like a little pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just have such vivid memories of, like, my brother uh, having all those cards. Oh, yeah, I had all the cards. Yeah. I Pokemon card collector when I was, like, nine, yeah. of course, like everyone. And he was so serious about it. And I feel like, like, my little, I have two brothers. One is a few years younger than me, and one is seven years younger than me. And, like, I feel like the youngest one, like, wanted to play with him sometimes. And sometimes he let him. But all their times he didn't. And it was, like, big drama. Like... And it was everyone in the schoolyard had their sets of Pokemon cards. Like it was, you know, oof, all the time, all the time, something was going on with that for like years. It lasted a long time. That phase, like 
it was definitely, and that's why this is so popular is because it was like everyone's childhood. Like, but my, the youngest one like drove me somewhere the other day before we, before we left on this trip and I went out to the car and I was like, where did he go? And he came back from the street and was like, I was looking for Pokemon on the street. I was like, Oh my God. Like, he's not a gamer person either. No, nope, he's not at all. So it's truly reached, uh, reached the best. Every demographic. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I was like, Kenter, what have you done? <laughs> he's got other things to be worried about, but I guess he's making time for Pokemon go. Oh my god. Uh, oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. yeah. I think we've covered all of culture apart from Ghostbusters now. Yeah! <laughs> Star Wars, yeah. got Michelangelo, we got Pokemon Go. <laughs> do you want to say anything about Ghostbusters? Because I don't think we're really going to be able to do an episode about yeah. it. We'll do it at some point, but I'm not going to be able to see it for a while still and we have some other topics planned um we'll probably i think i answered this question on tumblr but we'll probably do an episode like when the it comes out on like home release or something because i do want to talk about it but it just will be a while so yeah i mean if we're going to do an episode in future i think like i'm not going to kind of talk morgan's ear off about a film that she's not seen yet like in general i thought it was very good (laughs) Uh, i'm like not I'm not a huge fan of like a lot of American like mainstream kind of broad comedy SNL type movies. It's not really my jam. I found this film very innocently funny in the same way that I really liked Magic Mike XXL. I mean, Magic Mike XXL is a better film, but um, everyone in Ghostbusters is really funny. And like, while it's a really simple movie, it kind of follows up like SNL formula of having a series of funny sketch scenes with... People like Kate McKinnon, who is a goddess. As everyone on the internet has discovered. (laughs) It's so funny to me because I do watch SNL pretty regularly and like have known she's amazing. I mean, her her Hillary impressions are wild. Oh, so good. And she used to do, what's her name? Is it Anne Romney, Mitt's wife? Yeah, she did an amazing Anne Romney impression. Like, I remember that from like four years ago. It was so good. Yeah, she's the kind of impressionist where it's like, it's always on the brink of total absurdity. Which is, like, great for Ghostbusters, because, like, the other three characters kind of have character arcs, and her character is literally just a person being really weird. Well, I think that about covers it. Yeah, that is our our kind of holiday special summer chat show in between our far more serious topics. We will be back next week um, with a topic which I'm not going to spoil, because it's kind of a special episode, but um, we're hoping you'll enjoy it. We're hoping it'll be very good and (laughs) well-received. Yes, Um, we will. We've been working on it. We will work on it more before it drops. So look out for that. Yeah. And thank you for listening all the way to the end of this nonsense. Yeah. I mean, if you're stuck around, well done. And we are officially friends now because you've had the chat experience. Um, And as ever, you know, if you liked, if you liked the episode, um, find us on social media. Our Twitter is overinvestedpod, Tumblr, overinvestedpodcast, website, overinvestedpodcast.com. And if you enjoy us, please give us a positive review on iTunes or the podcast network thingy of your choice. All right. We will see you soon. Bye. Bye.